Hello and welcome back to the Literary Salon podcast. It's me, Damien Barr, bringing you another book of the week. And we've had a salon in real life since we last saw you. We had a salon at the London Library and it was online and in person. And we'll be having another one. So if you don't want to miss it, sign up for our newsletter. We had Monica Heisey the author of Really Good Actually, and it made me just laugh so much. And we had Jenny Fagan with the world premiere of her memoir, Bootlin, and she had us all in bits. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know that before we go on to talk about this week's book of the week. Now, our guest this week is Annie Coyote Somtechkwa, who is an award-winning Nigerian writer and queer liberation activist. And I just watched a video of theirs the other day talking about how we can achieve queer and trans liberation. And it's really inspiring, so I urge you to look that out on YouTube. His debut novel is And Then He Sang a Lullaby, which is just a brilliant title. It's a stunning coming-of-age story about love, class, political resistance and the struggle for self-acceptance. It's already the recipient of the James Curry Prize for African Literature. And it's being published by Roxanne Gay Books, which is an imprint of Grove Atlantic. Now, you probably know who Roxanne Gay is. She is the author of the best-selling book, Bad Feminist. She is absolutely incredible, both as a thinker and as a writer. And Grove Atlantic have given her her own press. I mean, how amazing is that? It basically is the dream. So she has been given a brief to publish beautifully written, provocative, intelligent writing, including underrepresented fiction, non-fiction and memoir. So, and then he sang a lullaby is the very first book from Roxanne Gay's own imprint. It's about two queer Nigerian men, August and Shigun. August is a track star and his family's greatest pride but he's burdened with the guilt of his mother's death and she died during childbirth. So he's also the only son to carry on the family's name. So there's a huge amount of pressure on him, both externally and internally. Shagan is a bright student, but has drawn the attention of bullies his whole life. He has been picked on because of his perceived effeminacy and his mannerisms. And despite all of this, he wants to live his life as himself. He wants to live his life openly as a gay man, despite the violent consequences. So the two boys, well, men, meet in university and they're forced to come to terms with their mutual attraction in a society that not only despises their love, but criminalises it. Here's Annie with a reading from the book. Hello, my name is Anikayo Desomtechko. I'm openly queer Nigerian writer and queer liberation activist based in Nigeria. I'm pleased to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damian Ba's Literary Salon from my new book, And Then He Sang a Lullaby. This reading is from chapter 16 and is about the two protagonists as they try to negotiate their love from two very different levels of self-acceptance. I chose this extract because I think it encapsulates the reluctance that tempers their love as they struggle to survive a world that does not make space for love like that. One of my main inspirations for writing this book was to explore such complex knots in the ways in which we navigate love under situations of queer criminalization. Well, without further ado, here is the extract. 
And then he sang a lullaby, chapter 16. His relationship with August came by providence. That was what Shagun told his friends when they asked. In the beginning, Shagun could have sworn August and Betty were dating. They went everywhere together and everyone in their faculty talked about them and how nice they looked together. Betty was studying physical education, but everyone in Nusoka knew her already. When August started coming to the cyber cafe, each day with a new document to photocopy, Shagun wasn't sure that August was interested in him, especially because of how snobbish he had been on the day they met at the games. But more and more, it seemed August was coming up with excuses to be there. It was cute. This shy fresher who always wanted to be around him. They started spending time together at night class too. Night class was something Shagun had always done alone because none of his roommates came to class to read at night. And even if they did, he would never voluntarily be near them if he did not have to. Julia did her reading early in the morning and he didn't get along with many of his other classmates. When he saw August in social science under the fluorescent lights, he decided he wouldn't sit with him. But August looked up and when their eyes met, August smiled at him. And so he walked down to where he was seated. They kept to their books the rest of the night. Their bodies close enough that Shagun wondered what it would feel like to touch him. They would meet there in the evenings and talk about school and family. He told August that he applied to UNN because the options everywhere else we are taking, UI and Unilag and Futa, we are all out of the question. He wanted a new start, somewhere new where he didn't have to see any of his former classmates. He did not tell them about Tankodo because he wasn't sure yet if he could trust him. He was, after all, DK's friend. As they grew closer, he would tell August about everything, about Trevor, about what his classmates did to him after their SSCE exams, about his roommates too, but never about Tanko. The day his father phoned him repeatedly from Lagos, it was in August's room that he stayed to clear his mind. He knew why his father was calling him. The privatization bill had passed and President Jonathan had signed it. Shagun knew his father was calling to tell him he had lost his job. He needed his own sadness to wash through him first, so that when he picked up, he could be positive. He knew that was what his father needed from that call. Shagun telling him it was okay, and that things on his own end were perfect. When he told August that he was certain his father had lost his job, August hugged Shagun's shoulder. And even after that, just let his hand linger on his chest. In his third year, he had moved from Alvani Koku to Eninjoko Hall. His new roommates were even worse than the last ones, and several times he clashed with all of them because they always ganged up each time. Tension in his room eventually came to a head when Emilia threw his exercise book into a bucket of water. He claimed it was an accident and that the book had fallen out of his hand and into the water. But what sort of accident was that? 
It was a book Trevor had gifted him. A book with strong spiral binds and an elastic band running horizontally along the edge of it. In it, he wrote his favorite quotes from Pedagogy of the Oppressed, a book Trevor had gifted him to. And then, later on, poetry and story concepts he intended to use in class exercises. He was incensed. Are you a child? Who even gave you the permission to touch my things? Don't worry, when the book dries, you can still find the contacts you wrote in it. All those guys where they fuck your yash. I know that's what's paining you, Namdi said, laughing. What is paining me is none of your business. I've told you people that nobody in this room should touch my stuff. Stay on your own. Let me stay on my own. Who are you that I won't touch your stuff? Emily backed. Who is your father? Emily, respect yourself, fool. You are not a child. Get out, Joe. Don't insult me because of one stupid book. Is your book gold? Can you imagine? Are you okay at all? You know he writes his homo stuff in that book. Obom laughed. And how would you even know when you don't even know how to read? It's not written in homophobies, Shagun retorted. He was facing the door on his way out when Obom rushed up behind him and slapped him so hard his face slammed into the door and left the tent. Shagun felt a sharp pain where his face had made an impact, but Obum did not stop. It was clear he had wanted to do this for a while. Shagun was disoriented, but he gathered his wits fast enough to punch Obum in the throat. Obum doubled over, and Shagun pushed him with all his strength. They came crashing into the bunk beds in the room. It was then that the rest of the room intervened flogging them with belts until they separated. Because he was on top of Obum, most of the lashes landed on his back. He dusted his shirt off and went outside to spread the book. After air drying, he should be able to find everything he had written intact, still legible. To everyone who asked about the big bruise on his face, he simply told them he fell. But something about how shocked August was, and how tenderly he touched Shagun's face brought him to tears. He blinked them away, but they returned just as fast, welling up in his eyes. When August asked if he was okay, he shook his head no, and put the book he was trying to read back in his bag. They left the class and walked to his hostel together. At the stadium, Shagun sat on the bench, and for the first time, he cried about it. Loud, ugly tears. I don't know what to do, he said. August sat with him until he collected himself, and then they walked the rest of the way to Njako. Asking Shagun to come stay in his lodge was the first time August declared his feelings for Shagun. In the blink of an eye, the turn of a lip, the warmth of August's hand on his... Shagun's heart could just as well have stopped beating for the few minutes it took August to bear his chest. Shagun was only half surprised. Each time he saw August, it was as though August were studying him for signs that another fight had occurred. It was such a tender thing to be worried over, to be cared for in this manner. And so, Shagun was not totally surprised when August asked the question. They were in August's room, 
just after school. Ashegun was watching a movie on August's laptop. I just want to know you are safe, August said. Shagun was not ready to invest that level of trust in anyone outside of himself. Agreeing to live with August would have solved so many of Shagun's problems, but it would have also put him in a position of vulnerability he promised himself he would never be in again. Oh, don't worry, he said to August, waving the offer away. I think I can handle a few bigots. I mean, I went to an all-boys school. Homophobe training institute. <laughs> Shagun, please. I worry about you, August said. I'm fine, Shagun said, closing the laptop. Really? Look, I'm sorry if I scared you. I'm extra like that sometimes, but I think I'd rather not, August. August stared at him. Shagun moved closer, leaned on August's shoulder. You don't have to worry about me, he said, cupping August's face with both hands feeling the warmth of August's breath rest on his cheeks. At first, their lips brushed against each other, then they merged slowly. It was August who broke it off. He wiped his lips with the back of his palm. Shagun studied his face and was not sure what he saw there. Was not sure if it was shame or if it was all in his head. A wave of humiliation swept over him. I'm sorry, he said to August. I didn't... Sorry, he said again, awkwardly. He made to climb off the bed, but August held him and pulled him back. And against his better judgment, Shagun let himself be drawn back into August's arms. August's reluctance was visible. He weighed down his every movement, made the most basic movements of making out into something burdensome and heavy. They were awkward, arms flailing, elbows knocking into each other. It made Shagun feel so horrible. All the mushiness he had felt earlier turned into smoke and dissipating into the air. He pressed a hand to August's chest and broke their kiss. He lay on his back and August lay beside him. I'm sorry, August said. It's fine. Don't apologize, Shagun said. He was suddenly tired, drained. He wanted to go back to his hostel. August turned on his side so that he was facing him. I don't know how to live this life, August said. I know, August. I know. August lay on his back again. They both lay there in silence, listening to the sound of each other's breathing. Shagun thought it was unfair that August was so forward in how he felt towards him, only to then do this. But he did not say that. We are socialized to despise ourselves. It's not his fault, Shigun reminded himself. But still, he was upset. What did August want him to do? Where did this leave them? I have a lot going on, Shigun eventually said. He was afraid of loving August. Afraid of loving someone who was not really ready to love him back. I can't take uncertainty too. I can't risk this. I know how it's going to end. Shagun, August began, but Shagun did not want to hear what he had to say. He simply wanted to be out of this room. No, August, it, it's not easy for me, and I can't handle more. If you've not made peace with yourself, I can't get in the middle of that. I can't help you carry that burden, August. I can't. 
you have to bear it on your own. You have to walk through it because with me, it's all or nothing. I'm not ashamed. I refuse to be ashamed. And if you still are, I can't deal with that. He sat up and turned to look at August. I can't, he said again. August nodded. Shagun stood from the bed and picked his shirt from the floor, put it on and began to button it. He was facing the door, but he had August stand from the bed. Still facing the door, Shagun put on the rest of his clothes before turning around to take his school bag. Bye, he said, opening the door and letting himself out. Bye, August said. For a moment, August looked like he would say something, but he did not. Shagun closed the door behind him. He walked to the end of the hallway before stopping to steady his nerves. Then, with the shakiness in his breath gone, he began to descend the stairs. Thank you so much, Annie, for joining us on the podcast and thank you for that beautiful, poignant reading. We are wishing your debut novel, the first novel from Roxanne Gay Books, every success and we hope that readers are going to find it and love it and that it will help do what all good fiction does, which is provoke positive change in the world. That was Annie Coyote, some Techku reading exclusively for the Literary Salon. And then he sang a lullaby, it's published by Roxanne Gay Books and it's available now in all good bookshops. So get a copy from your local indie or you can support the salon, and please do that, by getting it from our shop on bookshop.org. As always, thank you for joining us and we'll see you again soon. <laughs>